Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Good morning, Joliet First. So good to see you. Thanks for being here today. Appreciate you taking time out of your busy weekend to be with us. If you're new here or it's your first time, a little bit about us. It, it is our mission to become a community of hope, and we want to be hope to a hurting world. It's interesting. God tells his community at the very beginning to be the edges of the field to the widow, the poor, the orphan, and the foreigner. In other words, uh, be hope to the hopeless is what he says. And so we've been asking this question as a community. What does it look like for us to be the edge to the world around us, to be the world or to be the edge to the community around us? We know as Joliet. And so that's kind of our mission and that's kind of our hope. And so if you're new, uh, our goal is not to hurt you, but it is to help you today and to bring you hope. And that's why we're here. And so uh, we're excited. We've been in this series called The Good and Beautiful Life. Uh, We've been here for about 10 weeks. I know. Um, I know for some of you this is long, but for me it's it's been good. I mean, I've learned a lot. And uh, we're almost done. We've got two weeks left. And so today we're addressing something that everybody can resonate with, that everybody struggles with. In fact, it's been my struggle for the last two weeks. And so uh, I can't wait for it. can't wait to share with you what God has been doing. So let's pray. Lord, we do give thanks for this time to worship you, for this time to enter into your presence. I pray in this moment that our ears would be opened. And that we would be aware of what you're wanting to do in our lives. We pray for your grace. We pray for your mercy. And we pray that you'd be honored in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, you may not like them, but I love disinfectant wipes. I love Clorox wipes. And I know some of you are saying they're not healthy for the environment, they're not healthy for you, they're not good for your family, they're not non-GMO or HGTV free or whatever acronym you use to let me know how bad they are for you. Uh, But the bottom line is I like them because they're a precautionary way of getting rid of all the germs that somebody passed me last week. Um, You know, I love it to clean down my countertops and and use them. I don't need to go into my kid's uh, bathroom with a chemical suit or a gas mask on. Um, But you remember when you were a kid, your mom used the same mop or she used the same rag to clean off everything. Like she would clean the floor, she'd clean the toilet, she'd clean the counter, kitchen countertops, or she'd leave the dish rag that would sit there for two weeks, and it collects germs. I don't know if she knows that, but it collects germs. And so whoever invented Clorox wipes, genius, I love it. But there are people who take it to a completely different level. You, you know these people, right? You've met the people, sorry if you're one of them, not trying to brag, rag on you today, but you have these people who in public pull out Clorox wipes whether like they're in a restaurant and they're coming out of the bathroom and they're wiping down the door. You've met these kind of people, right? Oh, no, I did it again. Are we good? Ha ha. Pretty awesome. But you've met these people. 
And um, it was interesting. Uh, some people just take it to a whole nother level. I remember last year we were in Mexico, and uh, we had a four-hour trip to the mountains. It was dusty. It was dirty. Uh, we didn't have time to take showers before that service that night. So I was up there, and I was uh, using baby wipes. I learned this in the Army. We used baby wipes for weeks on end to, to bathe. And so I was just cleaning off with baby wipes, and Bruce says, hey, that's a great idea. I should do that. And so I offered him baby wipes. Uh, hand him my whole pack that was this big and he says I'm good my wife packed my bag for me and okay so he pulls out his wipes and he starts wiping down his body and the most important parts that matter and all of a sudden he starts wincing and you can tell that he's laboring and his face turns pitch red and he starts saying it's burning it's burning it's burning and he holds up his package and it was guess what a package of Clorox wipes not baby wipes and I can just tell you right now that you don't want to cleanse with Clorox wipes it is quite painful and uh, Bruce is not one of those people that takes it to a whole nother level but you've met helicopter parents and you can you know Janelle says helicopter parents are from well, you can get it in the, the prefix of the nickname. But anyway, uh, helicopter parents are crazy. Um, and you've met these moms or these dads. Like, they go into school. The teacher shakes their hand. She pulls out a disinfectant wipe and wipes a hand off. Right? Go to the monkey bars. We wipe the slides down, the monkey bars down. Or they get off the bus. They get off the bus. You go get out of those clothes. You come back in. I'm going to spray you down. I'm going to wipe you down. We want to make sure that you are germ-free in this house. And what's scary is it goes from being like precautionary and proactive to this is this protective mentality, which ultimately is about worry. Like that's what helicopter parents do is they worry all the time. So my, my question to you today is what do you worry about? What do you worry about? See, worry is this. It is a disproportionate level of concern based upon an inappropriate level of fear. Now, I know that's a huge definition. Let me just bring it down for you. You call the doctor's office. I do this all the time. Hey, I need to set up an appointment. And the moment I set up the appointment based upon an inappropriate level of fear, I am worried until the doctor's appointment because I think a routine checkup will turn in you to you have two days to live. You do this, right? The moment you schedule that appointment, you're like, I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm worried. I've got cancer. I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it. Like, you've done this. You worry. I worry about when my 60-pound kids get on a 12-and-a-half-ton yellow tube that takes off in the morning. And guess what? I don't know that driver. I don't know that they can drive. I don't know that the background check covers every state. I mean, just because you have a license doesn't mean you can drive. And I just trust these people with my kids. And what's worse is when the school calls and said, hey, we just want to inform you that your kid's bus has been in an accident. Uh, everybody's safe and it's fine. And then your kid comes home and they say, it was so cool. A Ford Explorer got lodged underneath the bus today, mom and dad. <laughs> no worries, parents. Everybody's safe. <laughs> but we worry about our future. We worry about our kids. We worry. We lay up at night and we think. We think about where am I going to go to college? What is my plan for the future? We worry because it looks like other people have better plans for their lives than we do. And somehow we feel insecure about that. And so we worry about the future. We worry about the future. When, so, when somebody passes away in our lives or, or two people pass away in our lives, we have this myth. Like it happens in threes. And so when two happen, you're like, is it going to be me? Is it going to be my wife? Is it going to be my kids? Is it going to be my parents? Who is next in the story? And so we worry. We start to worry about who's going to die next. 
We worry about uh, shootings. We, we've had this recently, school shootings, and we worry, are our kids next? Are our kids next? And will they get shot? Will they be killed? Will I ever get that phone call? And if you don't know what you worry about, I would just say this. What makes you anxious? What makes you anxious in life? I know for me, goodness gracious. We good? No? Yeah. I know for me what makes me anxious is hospital visits. Uh, not, not that I don't want to come and pray for you, not that I don't want to come and be with you, but hospital visits, when I walk in, it makes me aware of how frail human life is. And it makes me aware that one day this is going to be me laying in the bed. And that's what happens. That's what worry does. It makes us worry about how frail life is. And what we do, and here's the false narrative that you and I buy into, is that worry prevents pain. That worry prevents pain. If I just worry long enough, I won't get cancer. If I worry and worry and worry enough, my kids won't get in an accident on the way to school. If I worry long enough, somehow I'll mysteriously get into the college or get that job that I've always wanted. And we just think that worry will prevent pain in our lives. But here's the problem with worry. Is it extracts us and it pulls us from life's most cherished and important moments. See, what worry teaches you is it teaches you to be there and not here. And so I'm just going to say up front, because I know some of you will tune out here, here in just a second. But let me just say, if, if you want to know anything that, that we want you to know today, it's this. Is that worry robs what's worthy of your time. Worry robs what's worthy of your time. Turn to your partner and say that, because you need to say that. Worry robs what's worthy of my time. It does. It does. I love this thought because Jesus has a few things to say about it today. And, and I don't believe in three-point sermons, but it just so happened that this one turned out that way. I cringe when I say that. So if you love three points, guess what? You get three points today. Woohoo! Um, I'm not a big fan of them. But Jesus understands this about our lives. He knows this about us. And he, he understood this about the people of his day, that worry was a major issue for them. And so he starts out by saying, I love this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. And this is where we started last week. You remember this. Worry means, I don't care. Who cares? Who cares? That's what Jesus wants to say. Worry means literally, who cares what other people think? Who cares? He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. I love this. Keep going. Is not life more important than food? And the body, and more important than clothes. <laughs> I gotta stop here because I find it funny that a man who's talking about clothes typically only had like two or three pieces of clothing in their entire wardrobe. But yet today, did you know that the average person spends eight years of their life shopping? So how relevant to us that he would say, don't worry about your clothes. He said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or, or uh, store away in bins, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And I love this. Are you not, are you not much more valuable than they? I'm going to put my glasses on. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, can any of you by worrying add one single hour to your life? 
you see, we, we can't get what Jesus is saying, but if, if you've been with us over the last 10 weeks, Jesus has been starting out every little talk with, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, you've heard it said, but I say to you, you remember this, right? Well, what has been said up to this point by all the rabbi people is this, they've been teaching, they've been teaching that animals, animals have this carefree life. That if you just look at them out in the pasture, everything is hunky-dory, everything is awesome, and that somehow they have the best life in the world, which I find ironic based upon a religious system that sacrifices those very beings. That doesn't make sense. But apparently, good human life, good life. And then they would look at their lives and say, but our lives, we were dealt a blow where we have to work, work, and toil, and work hard for everything that we have. And Jesus immediately addresses it. Work and worry, work and worry, work and worry, work and worry. See, see, we can't understand it from their perspective, but you place yourself in their shoes and you have an empire and a dictatorship that has taken, they've stolen, they've beaten, they've oppressed, they've taxed, and oh, by the way, they've executed people. And so you can imagine a body and a community that has worked for what they have. And all of a sudden they have this worry. Are they gonna take my house? Are they gonna take my food, which is my field? Are they gonna take my family? Are they gonna execute my family? Are they gonna take what's left of me, the only piece that I have on my body, which is clothes? Are they gonna do that? Work and worry, work and worry. And you can see the shift in the community that goes to this angst and this anxiety. But it's so funny because they weren't called to be that kind of community. They were called to be a blessing, a breathing, a beautiful, a life-giving community to the world. But suddenly, because of the oppression, because of the suffering, they became angry. They became sour. They were driven by anxiety. And ultimately, at the heart of this community was worry. You've been here before? You see, if I could step in your shoes for a minute, I would, I would, I would, you would say to me, Brad, there's something in my life. I feel like I'm called to do something more. I can't put a finger on it. But for me, life feels so empty and evasive. Like it's just, there's something not there. And while we may not live in the first century under Rome, come on, let's get, let's just be honest. There is a pressing of scarcity in your life where it's like, am I going to have enough money for for college? Am I, am I going to have enough money to pay my car bill or my medical bill? Am I actually going to have enough money to put food on the table for my kids or have enough for retirement or have enough for, for anything that comes up? And I love what Jesus says because this is where he draws people in. He says, aren't you more valuable? Aren't you more valuable? In other words, what he's saying is, there is something worth your time, and worry is robbing you of it. Do you know what that is? Worry robs you of you. Worry robs you of you. When we look at the people of this day, they were called to a specific purpose. 
They were called to a specific life. And when Jesus says to them, aren't you more valuable? There is an awakening. Oh, that's right. We were called to be a different community. We were called to create a different kind of world than the one we live in. We were called to live life as it was divinely designed by God. And there's an awakening to this. And guess what? You will have the exact same awakening when you stop worrying. But worry robs you of the purpose and the life. Remember we said, there's something in each of us that says, there's something more, there's something more. I feel like God has called me to do something. I can't figure out what that is, but predominantly it's because we worry so much. Worry robs you of what you were designed to do from the very minute you were born. And so it's an awakening. When Jesus says, you're more valuable, it's an awakening. And you're saying awakening to what? Listen to what he says next. I love it, he says, so do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? I love it. For the pagans. For the pagans. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, you'd remember this. That pagans aren't, it's not like a derogatory word, but pagans literally means like the average person. These aren't people who have a uh, a specific marking or purpose in life. They're just the average people. He says, average people run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Then he says the most important line of the Bible, I think. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given unto you. Now we like to skip to the latter half of this. And, you know, I can preach that if you want. I can, you know, preach that God will give you all the possessions and a Cadillac and anything else you want. And you'll love me as your pastor, but I'm not doing my job as your pastor if I do that. That stuff works, by the way, in the church. So, but I'm not going to do that today. He says from the very beginning, he says, seek first his kingdom. And typically, we we tend to seek what has been lost, right? You search for something that's been lost. You only seek it when it's been lost. And, And the problem for worry for many of us is that worry, worry causes us to lose sight of what we should be striving for. Worry causes us to lose sight of what we should be striving for. That's why Jesus says, come on back with me. Uh, You're more valuable. You're more important. You have more important things in your life. So let me help you recenter your life on what's most important. Let me help you give perspective, gain perspective on what's most important. Because what worry does is it causes you to lose sight of what I've called you to do. I love this. Uh, When I was a senior in high school and I was graduating, my graduation day. This is like an important day, seniors, right? Very important day. Um, I don't know, senior, senior, sorry, one, we only have one. Uh, It's a big day. And and I remember um, I wanted to drive my dad's car, which I thought was really cool, but it was just an ugly Dodge Intrepid. Um, I thought it was cool, but, but I wanted to drive that to graduation. And so I didn't want my sister to take the car, so I thought, well, I'll just hide the keys from her. And so I got in the shower, and everybody left to go get seats. And um, when I got out of the shower, my sister was gone, and she didn't take the car because I hid the keys. But the problem was I hid the keys so well, I couldn't find the keys. And so um, I had a half an hour to my graduation, and it takes 20 minutes to get there. And I'm looking under the bed, I'm looking under the dresser, I'm looking everywhere I possibly can for these keys. And I realize I'm going to miss my graduation day. And they said, guess what, if you don't make it in line, you don't graduate. And so I was really, really worried. And um, so I did find my dad's F-150 keys, his old beat-up F-150. And so I grabbed those, I run down, I get in, I start it up. There's absolutely no gas in the truck. I uh, didn't even know if I was going to make it. And I turn around, and guess what? The car that I was going to drive is parked behind the truck. 
And so I managed to shimmy around the garage, went through the backyard, nearly took out my mom's clothesline, threw some trees, back through the front yard, and off to the school I went. And on the way, I hit a little, uh, a little bump on the bridge, and the tailgate came flying off. And it looked like somebody was snowboarding on the back of my car. I mean, um, it was really hillbilly. Um, but guess what? I showed up on time, literally as they were walking in the door. My whole class is walking in. I jump in line, and I graduated. But my whole point is this. <laughs> my whole point is this. What was the big picture? Did anybody care that I was driving a Dodge Intrepid to school? No, they didn't even see me pull up in the car. The only thing that they cared about, and what was most important, the big picture, was that I would graduate. But I was worried about something insignificant and small. And that's what worry does. It causes us to lose the big picture. And I love this thought. Somebody wrote this. They said, anxiety, I love this, anxiety is foolish and does nothing except to put God out of the picture. Now, now some of you need to hear this today. I love it when, when people tend to blame God for all the problems. God doesn't care. He doesn't listen. It's his fault. You know, he just doesn't think I'm here. And, and what's interesting in the conversation is the more we hear them talk about it, the more I hear them talk about it, what I realize is they're worried about life and they can't recognize that God is actually present in the problem because they're so worried about it. Oh, yeah, God is in the mess. He is present in the middle of your mess. But sometimes we can't recognize that he's there, he's working, he's doing something because we're so worried and then we want to turn around and blame him because we can't even recognize that God is there actually doing something. And so this whole thing of seek first the kingdom is about recentering your life on what matters most. Recentering your life on what matters most. And I know you don't want the God answer, but I'm just saying right now, like that's where it starts. That's where it starts. And that's why he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And then he says this, therefore, do not worry about what? Tomorrow. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow because worry. Worry has enough to worry about itself, right? Don't worry about tomorrow. He's taking us back into the story. Uh, Matthew's taking us back into the story with the listeners of this day. See, we can't get this again, but when you suffer enough, when you suffer enough, you want to come out of that suffering. And so for them, they were constantly looking forward to the day that there would be this one who would come in, who would rescue them, and who would save them. And so you can only imagine, in the suffering of today, they were looking at the hope for tomorrow. In the suffering of today, they were always looking at the hope for tomorrow. So they were always living in tomorrow, but the problem was tomorrow didn't exist. Tomorrow doesn't actually exist, except in Back to the Future. But anyway, um, <laughs> tomorrow doesn't exist. And, and the problem for, for these people is they were so looking forward to another day that they missed what was happening in their day. And so when Jesus shows up, when the Messiah, the one that was there to save them from the very beginning, shows up, they're looking forward to tomorrow and they totally miss out on the life that God is wanting to give them right there. Because hope is tomorrow. Hope is tomorrow. Hope is tomorrow. It's not today. You see, worry is like your imaginary friend. Uh, sorry if you have imaginary friends. But you've met these kids. You've met these students. Do you remember the kids who had imaginary friends? 
And we'd say, oh, they have creative imaginations. Oh, they're very thought-provoking. They're very intuitive. And what we really want to say is they're odd. They're just a bit weird. And what we really want to say is they're in a different world. They're not here. They're out there. And this is Jesus' other point. Worry wastes away what's been given today. Worry wastes away what's been given today. You see, we're so busy worrying about tomorrow and so, worry, so busy living in tomorrow, yet, yet tomorrow doesn't exist and we're worrying about something that typically and often never even happens. Like, think about all the things that you worry about. I have this sickness, I have this illness, this could happen to my kid, this could happen when I get to college, whatever it may be. We worry about these things, and guess what? When you get there, do they ever happen? No. No. And what happens is we miss the opportunities in front of us. Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of God is tomorrow, it's in the future. He says, no, 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 it's right here in this moment. It's present today, which means you are called to live in the present. That's right. For your kids, for your family, for your friends, for your enemies, for the people you don't even know and the people you don't even like. You are called to seize the day, to take this moment, to take this opportunity and to live a life different from other people. The reason why so many of us live average, quote, pagan lives is because we live in tomorrow. You can't be present in, in tomorrow when it's today. So Jesus is drawing us in. Worry robs what's worthy of your time. Worry robs what's worthy of your time. And Jesus says, I need you to learn how to be here. I need you to learn how to be here. There is a starting point for some of us. I know some of us don't follow God. We don't believe in God. We don't think God exists. Uh, let me just say this. Uh, there is something inside of you that says, I do have purpose. I do have reason. I feel like I've, I've been created for something in life. And I would just say that that just doesn't haphazardly happen. Like you just weren't randomly thrown here. Like, whoo, have at it. Have fun. No, no, we, we, you were created. From the very moment you were created, God says, I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. I have a mission for you. And that mission is about representing me, about bearing my image and my life and my love to the world. See, the world can't get it. They have struggle understanding who God is. And so I need you to go, and I need you to do, and I need you to be, be what I want you to be so you can represent me. But that only starts when we start with him, right, right, we, we, can't, we can't have God in the picture when worry puts him out of the picture. And so if worry is something that is constant in your life, there may be a reason why God feels absent. Do you ever think about that? The reason God doesn't feel present, the reason why he feels absent is because you're worrying. And what's worthy of a t your time is a creator who's made you and who loves you. For those of you who've been following all your life and you still worry, let me just say this. 
There is a reason why Christians and the church settle for mediocrity. We do. That's why I don't think Christians should make movies. They're terrible movies. At times, that's why I don't think they should make music. It's terrible music. But I get this sense that God has called us to be a different kind of community. He has called us to be a different kind of people. Not average, not normal, and not to chase what everybody else chases, and not to worry about what everybody else worries about. See, see, God has, there, there's something stirring inside of you. You can feel it. There's like this energy, and I'm going to talk about it in a minute. But you feel it, you sense it, and you want it, and you don't know what it is. But the reason you don't know what it is is because you're worrying. And when we worry, we can't have an awakening to what God is wanting to do in our lives. He wants to use you, but we're just unaware of it. So you're saying, what do I do with that worry? What do I do with that worry? And let me give you the most churchy I don't like this answer, but I just have to give it to you because it is truth. And I don't like that word either, but I'm using it today. It's prayer. It's prayer. I've said it over and over again. I don't think that we will become a thriving, alive, vibrant, moving kind of people. Until we pray. Because prayer is like the opposite of worry. Many of you know I've been worried the last two weeks. Uh, I actually had struggles finishing this message. I'm usually a few weeks ahead, but I was struggling with this one. And I actually finished it this week, the latter half. But I think God wanted me to wrestle with this. Because the last two weeks, I've been struggling with worry, worry, worry. And if you've been here for two weeks, you know what those worries are. And like I said, I felt this weight. I feel like really heavy and I'm somewhat a little bit depressed. And I'll be honest, there was a whole week where I don't know that maybe I prayed but 15 minutes. And so the start of this week, I said, it's going to be different. And I started praying. And I started talking to God and I started yelling at him and I started expressing my frustrations and I started saying, you know, hey, whatever you want to do in my life, do it, just do it. I just, I, I give up. I can't do anymore. And you know what's funny is not once this week have I worried what I've been worrying about the last two weeks, but on Thursday, it's always on my way to Pops, you know, again, where I'm supposed to give people hope but don't feel like, anyway, it's on my way to Pops. I feel like God was saying to me, Brad, the problem for you is you are too fearful, and I can't unveil everything yet, but there is, there is a wonderful purpose, not just for you, but for this church. And I'm moving you in that direction. And I got to tell you, over this last week, there has been this energy, this awareness that there is something more to life than what I've been doing. And it's like I have recaptured, I've been awakened to what God is wanting to do in my life. And that's what we call awakening to the spirit of God. Like when God's spirit is speaking to you, there's an awareness because you're in prayer and you're not worrying about it. So you want God to talk to you? Stop worrying and start praying. But the moment I went there, all of a sudden there was a new vitality that I began to experience. And again, I can't even put it into words. I'm struggling to put it into words for you. But for me, it's like there's this sense of I can barely sit still. 
because I'm so excited and I don't even know what it is. I think I have a clue, but I don't even know the entirety of it. And I told our board this week, if you can wrap your fingers around God's vision for you, if you can just wrap it around, then guess what? That's probably not God's vision for you. If we can wrap our fingers around God's vision for our church, it's probably not the vision for our church. We met with some consultants, and, and it's fun talking with them. And they said, well, we think you should do this, this, and this, and this. And I thought about it for over a month. And finally, I just said, I think your vision is, is boring. No offense. What, what, what you're going to do is you're just going to turn us into a beautiful, white, suburban church that just tracks a lot of other Christians because it's the new and cool thing. And that's not us. But I said, here is what us. And then I began to share my dream and my vision. I began to talk with them. And it has been a lot of fun since then. They were like, they put the blueprints away. They set everything aside, what they've been working on for weeks. And like, All right, let's do this. One day we'll share that with you when it's the right time. But man, you want to talk about drugs and getting high. I've been high, that's for sure. But on all the right stuff. I know, I know. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's what my wife said. If you don't get anything out of today, there's something that's worthy every time. Your kids. your families, your parents, your friends, people who don't know you. There are people who need you. There are things that are worthy of your time. God is worthy of your time. But as long as you continue to worry, you'll miss out on what's worthy.